So good. Hey, well, we are in the series at the moment on identity, um, and I did a message a couple of weeks ago uh, in regards to the prodigal son and coming into our identity, and this really is the second half of that um, message, and I'm going to be talking about stepping into our authority today as believers, and Anne has premised that so beautifully this morning. Didn't she do well? Yes, Anne. Come on, what a great team we have here. And Anne, we want to honor you for the incredible work you do with our children as you minister and lead them with such joy. Um, You're just amazing. Um, So we're going to jump into Luke 15 here. Uh, verse 11, and you, you heard me say this a couple of weeks ago, but who knows that, you know, teaching comes through repetition, so here we go again. Uh, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. Not a great, uh, not a great expression of what we're to do with our inheritance, right? <laughs> hey, three years ago, actually, Deb and I, we set off to a distant country. It's actually the country of America, and we had an amazing time. In fact, we still talk about it, and we say, remember, we're in America, and all of our children start eye-rolling and yawning and saying, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we went over there, and we went to Reading, uh, Bethel, and God just ministered to our hearts, expanded our vision. Then we went to uh, uh, Pensacola, uh, and it was a conference to honor the move of God, the Brownsville Revival, and we were on the floor in His presence, giving our life Uh, to Jesus again, and we thought we'd give, you know, sometimes you think you've given your life, and you're like, actually, I need to re-surrender my life, and it was such a time of surrender and um, expansion as well, And, and on the way there, though, our first stop was in LA to see Corey uh, and his girlfriend, actually, um, uh, Tash, and uh, on the way, and I've since moved to up the coast, um, Seattle, thank you, that's right. And anyway, we, we went um, over there and we did. We went to Disneyland, yes. And um, then we were taken to the Hollywood Boulevard and we saw all the stars in the, um, you know, in the concrete. And, um, and that, was, that was funny and fun and just a great experience. Um, and then we were like, let's get, a, let's get a photo of the Hollywood sign. And to get the photo, the best photo, we had to climb up this, um, this hill. And it was really, it was dusty, dry, cacti, cactuses and and things all around. We had our water bottles. It was about 30 degrees. And I get near the top and I just noticed that these, all these guys dressed in black up there. And I was, and my first thought was like, what, are, what Muppets? It's so hot. Why are you wearing black on a day like today? And and so um, we go uh, to the viewing platform, and I stand next to this guy who's got tats and his hat snapped back, and he's stalking, and at the same time, he's doing this exercise like this. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. You do you. And, um, and then so he was doing that. Then we're like, well, let's go over here now, and we'll get our, our, um, our, our selfie with the sign. So we did that, and then we started walking back towards the guy in tats to have another look. And while I'm doing that, I'm just noticing like these guys in black 
uh, following me really closely. And I just sort of like, what's going on? And then Tash comes over and, and she pulls out her phone and she's like, so I've just been looking at this guy's tats and, and who this guy is. And it turns out that you've just been standing right next to Justin Bieber. And I was like, oh, that's the black suit security guys that were right there. And I was, you know, perhaps just a little bit slow, but it was hot. Uh, and then we walked down the mountain and um, down to the bottom. And then Justin um, Bieber, yeah, we were friends at the stage now. Uh, he came out at the same from a different track. And he saw, he saw a guy doing a handstand. He was just like doing the longest handstand pose. And Justin was watching him. We were hiding behind cacti like going there, Justin Bieber. And, uh, or Debbie was. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was the one taking the photos and filming. Uh, and just kind of, and, and watching then Justin trying to do um, handstands that he couldn't do. And, uh, and it was just, it was a really kind of a fun moment. Um, and, and, um, and we were like, wow, we were so enamored with being in this kind of like the center of entertainment. Um, so much ideals and media and everything comes from that. That space, and I, and I think, you know, globally, we're like, well, there's a pinnacle of, of expression of, of the world state. And as Christians, we're like, well, not so cool, a lot of what flows from Hollywood. And I can imagine before the son, you know, the prodigal son left home, his imagination would have been so absorbed with what was on the other side of the father's house. You know, he'd been scrolling and he'd had a picture in mind of what, you know, of, of what would bring him fulfillment and excitement in life. And he was going to, you know, he was going to party hard and he was going to make connections and do handstands with Justin Bieber. And, and it was going to be awesome. And he was just excited to leave because of everything that the father was holding him back from. And however, we'll pick up the story again in verse 14, after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen. Some translation says that he joined himself uh, to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to the uh, fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. You know, this son was in a different place to when he left home. And he failed to anticipate that what, you know, the personal cost was to him of removing himself from his father's covering. You know, in taking his inheritance, he dislocated himself, himself from his family. And, you know, there's a difference between being sent and being went. And sometimes we are just, you know, we're meant to go, but we're meant to go with the Father's representing the Father heart and the Father's kingdom. And when you look at the Bible, you could probably see the first instance of people removing themselves from the Father's covering uh, is actually found in the book of Genesis. And, and, and this is before, you know, this, uh, well, this moment here is before actually Adam and Eve sinned um, and, and were, were were sent out of the garden. It says this in verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Um, you know, at that point, they had, no, they had no context for shame, no context for guilt, uh, no, no idea about what blaming other people were, was. They, they, were, they were pure. They were righteous. 
they were holy and without blame in the Father's sight. And, and it says they felt no shame. And, and it's interesting because, you know, shame is a felt thing. Shame is an emotional, it's, it's an emotional wound. It's felt at an emotional level, but it's a, a deep expression of our consciousness when it comes to relating with the Father. It's either, a, you know, if we're walking with shame, we're disqualified from, from the Father. He wants to set us free from shame, and He has through Christ Jesus. And we, 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 when we receive Him, we become shame-free guilt-free. But you know, after listening to the lie of the devil um, in Genesis 3 verse 6, the woman saw that the fruit was good. She took some, she ate it, and she gave it to Adam to eat. And then their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. See, shame, in shame, because of shame, they hid themselves from God. And they made coverings for themselves because shame causes us to hide. It causes us to draw back. It causes us to separate ourselves. See, before sin, Adam and Eve were clothed in righteousness. And, and, you know, they may have, and why they were naked but felt no shame, maybe they were actually clothed in Shekinah glory. Like Moses, when he climbed up the mountain, his face shone. Jesus, up the mountain of transfiguration, he glowed because of the presence of God. And the good news is for the followers of Jesus Christ is that we have been set free from sin and we have become slaves to righteousness. And there's a whole other message. I'm not going to go down that track, but it's clear from Scripture that, that sin is the opposite to righteousness. And righteousness is often framed as clothing throughout the Bible. Let's just look at a few of these here. Job 29, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. Isaiah 61, for he has clothed me, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness like a breastplate. And you see that reflected in Ephesians 6 too, don't we? You know, knowing our righteousness is key to standing in our royal identity as sons and daughters of the Father. See, Eden, the Garden of Eden, it, that was the original location that Adam and Eve had been blessed in and then were to rule from to see the earth filled with the goodness and the glory of God. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, this is it's pretty clear that actually this location was where the earth was going to be blessed from as, as Adam and Eve were commissioned. But as they lost their righteousness, they became subject to sin and they were removed from this privileged place of actually ruling and reigning with the Father heart to the world. And so we can see the story in the prodigal son that just as Adam and Eve lost their covering and then they were removed from Eden, the prodigal son, he lost his covering as he walked out of the father's presence. 
But then in Luke 15, when the son came back to his senses, he realized what he was missing out on. It says this in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. See, this is the father reinstating his son into his royal identity and authority. This is a son who had been dead and lost to him. Even though he stood at the gate, you know, daily perhaps, waiting for his son to come home, loving his son, but still he considered that his son was dead and lost. See, nothing of lasting value or eternal significance can be accessed outside of the Father's realm, outside of His presence, outside of His kingdom, outside of His Word, outside of this relationship that we have with God, this heart-to-heart relationship that we have with the Father. So first up, He returned. This was all on the other side of the Father's embrace too, by the way. And so we can't just go and raid the pantry without receiving the embrace of the Father. We've got to be be embraced. We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to allow ourselves to be fathered by the Father. And so first, the the son, a robe was given to him. And as the robe was placed on the son, you know, I can imagine that he is being reinstated in right standing in the Father's kingdom. This is like the robe of righteousness. You know, before um, David defeated Goliath, King Saul offered David his armor. In 1 Samuel 17, you can find this. And at first, David starts thinking, he's like, "This this is a win, you know, like, I get to wear the king's armor, and, and, and wearing this armor, I get to be who I need to be. This armor is going to qualify me. And so he began, he, he began to just suit, suit himself up. And, and with every piece of armor that he put on his shin pads, you know, his breastplate, his, his shoulder pads, I don't know, his helmet, everything's going on, and he is feeling more and more unlike his, himself. I don't know if he starts thinking, I'm just, I'm, I'm actually wearing the armor of an unrighteous king. I don't know what's going on. But he's like, it, the Bible says that he let it, he, he took it off and he said, I can't wear this because I'm not familiar with it. And the Bible says that David took it off and he ran to defeat the giant. He said, I come against you. In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. See, no one could, no one had David's back like the God of the armies of Israel had his back. No one covered David like God could cover David. David had a hundred percent assurance of his right standing with God to take on the enemy, 
And so he was able to step into the authority that God was commissioning on his life to do. You know, he didn't need anything additional to fulfill what he was graced to do. And that's a word for someone here today. You don't need anything additional. But God, I need. But God, if only I was more. God has graced you. You are graced to fulfill what you are called to do. It says in Isaiah 61, verse 10, For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I want to remind someone here today that you are under His covering of righteousness. You don't have to keep thinking you need to do more to be covered. I need to be more. I need to somehow feel like more powerful. Or I need to feel more righteous. I need to feel all this stuff. I need to, I'm looking at other people and they're more qualified. That is a lie from the pit of hell. A couple of weeks ago, I was praying just in, in, uh, in our staff, actually, and I just saw like the, right, the robe of righteousness just falling off someone, just off his shoulder, and I was like, no, that's not right. There's something in the way that you're perceiving yourself that actually you are fully covered. You are fully under the righteousness of God. You are fully equipped and able with His garment of righteousness. The second gift the prodigal son was given was a ring. Let me just jump to Haggai chapter 2. I don't think I've ever read this scripture in church. <laughs> Verse 21. Tells Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to uh, shake the heavens and the earth. Wow. <laughs> I will overturn the royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you. My servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheltel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. See, this ring is the gift of authority, the signet ring. And when kings made decrees, they would melt wax and put the impression of their ring upon it. And only once the imprint of that ring was on their orders, it became law and could not be repealed or withdrawn. That's powerful, isn't it? The signet ring. Because it wasn't that he was just given any ring, or it wasn't that he was even given the wax with the imprint on. He was actually given the ring that could make the imprint. So as the father is placing this ring on the son, he is restoring the, the responsibility and the privileges of what it means to be a part of the kingdom to him. And, you know, Adam and Eve, they were banished from the garden. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are now in the royal bloodline of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And that is found in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, so in essence, our innocence has been restored as if we were Adam and Eve before sin. That's how righteous you are within the righteousness of Christ. 
in Second Kings chapter 6, there's a group of young prophets, and they're like, yeah, let's build stuff. Let's do it. This place we're meeting in, it's too small. Somebody said, <laughs> let's go down to the Ashley River and cut us some poles. <laughs> no, we need some metal. No, we need more than poles, don't we? <laughs> uh, so anyway, these guys, they literally do that. They're like, they go down to the Jordan River and they start cutting up poles and one of them is cutting and then the axe head flies off into the water and and it says this in, in second kings verse six the man of god asked where did it fall and he showed him the place elisha cut a stick and threw it in there a stick a piece of wood symbolic of the cross of jesus christ that made the iron float lift it out he said then the man reached out his hand and he took it supernatural encounter with a piece of iron to raise it to the surface of the water. The man of God was restoring what had been lost. You know, when uh, we feel disorientated in life, it's not always because something is wrong with you. It's because something is missing from you. Not always, but those things that are missing from us can actually bring disorientation to us, and, and I just want to remind someone today that your authority, God wants to restore that authority to you. If you're feeling like I'm just not in it, I just don't have that ring of commission and uh, on my finger. And I just want to speak to men for a moment because God wants to restore us. He wants to restore His men. And I want to just say, you know, don't defer the spiritual headship that you have in your home. Don't default the spiritual edge that you are called to carry. Take responsibility for the spiritual atmosphere in your home. Remembering authority without love is tyranny. <laughs> and so spiritual headship is void when we're not leading out of love. And spiritual headship is about being an initiator. It's about initiating to see that your family is well positioned within the context and the covering of the Father's love. Men, be praying for your family. I mean, women too, obviously, because you guys just naturally pray. <laughs> like You just get up and say, good morning, Jesus. And I'm like, I've got to have three coffees. And Okay. <laughs> Men, be praying for your kids when they're unwell or that they're, you know, just struggling in life. Bring up God's stories at the dinner table. You know, this is all about bringing your spiritual edge to the family. You know, we've been issued with the king's signet ring and, and we're raised up with Christ men and seated in heavenly realms. And it's so easy to defer that responsibility in the home. But Romans 5.17 says, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man. And man, we are called to reign in life. We are called, I just, I break despondency off any man that's here today that is just feeling despondent about your spiritual authority and position in life. It's not, it's not who you are. 
It's not who you are. You are called to actually look at the future with eyes of vision and eyes of hope. You know, the last gift that was given um, were the sandals for the, the, the young man's feet. And, and to understand the meaning of sandals, we've got to look back at verse 15 where, where it says to the prodigal son that he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And that actually means to be taken into slavery. To be taken into slavery. So there was this boy who went out with so much. He spent it all and then he is taken into slavery ultimately. And, and so, you know, they were taken into slavery. And, and when their shoes were taken, it meant that there was no chance of them running away. <laughs> but the father said, I'm going to reinstate you by giving you freedom. I'm going to give you your freedom back. And with that freedom, I'm going to give you purpose. You're going to have freedom and purpose. You're no longer a slave, but you are a son. Galatians 4, 7 says that you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also a, an heir. Come on, that's amazing. What an acceleration. <laughs> he comes home with nothing, absolutely nothing. He has taken his father's inheritance before he left. And God is saying, hey, I want to restore back to you the inheritance. What it means to be a part of my house. Let's just stand, church.